So today we've got an extra special treat for you guys, a good friend of mine, colleague, Dr. Pedro Lamonaco from Oregon State University. He's a coastal engineering expert, civil engineer uh, by training, originally from Mexico City, Mexico, but he's studied all over the world from Spain to the Netherlands and Mexico as well. Currently, he's the director of the Hinsdale Wave Research Laboratory at Oregon State. So welcome, Pedro. Welcome. Nice, nice, to, nice to talk to you. Yeah, thank you so much for your time today. Um, wanted to get started and tell people about how you got into the civil and coastal engineering field, especially being kind of from, you know, the middle of a landlocked area. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I have to say that, well, my, my background is it was firstly in, in civil engineer. Uh, it was a family thing. All my my parents uh, are architects, and 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 my brother is an architect. Really? And of course, I have to be an engineer. That wasn't I wasn't there. <laughs> so, Sounds a lot like my family. Yes. So my my uncle was an engineer, and I was always had some kind of uh, admiring uh, condition for him because of uh, uh, what he was doing. For me, was very cool and, and very interesting. And of course, you have these these uh, if you have the the the. Uh, um, uh, interest and, and ability to, to, to do something with your hands and, and, and some, something technical, then engineering is, is the natural things to do. So I love my, my career. I started the civil engineering really uh, enjoying everything I was, I was studying up there and, and, and uh, all the all mathematics and, and, and procedures for constructions and everything. And you have a, a very different ideas of what you're going to do in your life. Uh, except the, uh, we always have the, in the family also uh, a love for the ocean, and, mm. and we wanted to always to spend our time in the coast and and so on. So when I follow a course, uh, it's a, one of the specialties is the minor of of hydraulics in in civil engineering. Uh, it was maritime engineering, and when I started learning about it, it was really, really, really eye-opening. I said I want to do my the rest of my life in uh, studying waves and and how the waves, uh, how how construct and design structures that are being affected by waves, ports, breakwaters, beaches. Uh, anything uh, that is related to, uh, to the coast. So civil engineering is that is the construction of. Um, uh, and, and protection of the coastline uh, is probably the most one of the most environmentally friendly, let's call it, uh, of the civil engineering disciplines because we have to deal with nature and continually have to understand exactly what is nature doing. And also, most of our work is protecting nature. So everything we do is uh, with intention of doing something that is that is uh, not not affecting the nature. We know that we are dealing with something that uh, we are going to lose the battle. The the ocean is going to take over and and we have to be smart in that sense. So uh, the design of those structures are are and, and the understanding of the environment and and the ocean is 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 uh, fundamental to to um, to do the right job in at the coast. So that's how I started and um, eventually I wanted to do uh, um, um, uh, postgraduate studies so that's why I went to to 
Holland to study coastal engineering. I would say this is probably the best uh, location because uh, if the Netherlands is not uh, uh, the best in protecting their coast and understanding the ocean, they will be half uh, the country flooded. <laughs> yeah. it, is, it is like that. Is 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 a, a lowland area, and they have been uh, um, uh, reclaiming and understanding the ocean and and and. and dealing with the uh, ocean and and coastline issues for more than a thousand years. So uh, they have to know what they are doing. So uh, there is an international uh, uh, graduate studies there. And and then when I finished my master's there, it was a master of science. Uh, then I said, okay, let's let's. Uh, I'm very much interested in in keep on understanding what is what is, uh, a, a, or deeply understanding of what is the coast uh, and the ocean. My master was in it was uh, the the my master thesis was about the protection of uh, submarine pipelines, so the stability huh. of of uh, bottom protections. And we did some testing there for because there was basically very little information out there on on the uh, design and how to do that. The reason why I was interested in doing the the protection of pipeline is because when I was in Mexico, um, I was working for the Federal Power Commission. Is is maybe that's the right translation? Hmm. Is an organization that deals with the the generation and distribution of electricity in Mexico. So one of the things they have to do is to to take uh, water from the ocean to cool down the thermal plants and nuclear plants. And um, most of that uh, is done by uh, jetties and, 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 and the jetty is affecting the coastline. So the natural solution would be or could be a submarine pipeline. But nobody knew very well how to do that because it was typically subcontracted by the old companies in yeah. related to, to pipelines. So it was a nice natural void that I wanted to, to and I, I tried to, to, to cover and, and I, uh, the, the reason of starting on uh, the understanding of, of protection of pipelines was uh, uh, how to deal with those those. Uh, uh, structures at the, at the coast. So that's what I did in, in Holland. There was a, um, um, a pipeline that was constructed in, in the North Sea. And um, in the Netherlands, there is not too much rock. And the use of the material is something that is uh, too expensive to, to consider. So they were considering the use of uh, a relatively smaller material. And uh, nobody also has very much information of how to to design those structures. So did we did some oh, wow. testing, and that testing also opened my eyes in in the direction of the experimentation field. Yeah. Where did you do that testing at? Did you do that at um, the university where you're studying, or is there another testing no, center it was in a somewhere in place? Europe? Yeah, exactly. It was, um, uh, there is a, um, a strong link between the university. It was uh, it's an international institute, actually. Uh, uh, I was uh, the, the, inter- the in that time the international institute was linked to the university, Technical University of Delft in 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 Holland, and also there was a lot of link between them and the for what is called in that time Delft Hydraulics is a laboratory and consultancy company that. Uh, uh, still is in in Holland is now called Deltares, 
and they have two to in that time they had two two venues they have one in delft and one in the north of uh, holland where they have a large laboratory with large uh, huge flume and, and and other facilities so the link between the university professors researchers and and engineers in in delft hydraulics makes a nice tandem so uh, sometimes when you want to do some research instead of having duplicated your facilities in the university you take the advantage of having the the university the, the facilities at Delft Hydraulics and and there is always collaboration and research studies done by 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 the different institutions no so uh, and, and it, it worked that way in a in a in a certain uh, certain conditions nowadays is is different but in that particular moment some professors some researchers were also teaching at the institute and so on so that was the way I was uh, involved in and I, I got the link on 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 doing the research and and testing in in Delft Hydraulics. So they have very nice uh, commercial testing facilities. So we prepare those 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 specimens and then we did some some testing in in uh, in a flume on bottom protection of of, uh, of pipelines. And that was also something else that I found uh, uh, really eye opening. I wanted to to do uh, more I was getting more involved and interested in doing experimentation and physical modeling in the area that was I was I was already chosen which was the the coastal engineering so uh, eventually the I did my PhD in in Spain my my other um, uh, because of family ties I am also Spanish 50% uh, Spanish so um, I went there and then it was a natural place to to develop my my professional life so I did my PhD and then I continue working there. There is a, a strong group of coastal engineers there and uh, with a small laboratory and then the opportunity arises to, to build and, and design a full laboratory there. So um, I did it and, and, and I was involved in the, in the design and construction of that lab. Uh, so the intention was for me to, to become a, a um, um, uh, the, the head of that uh, coastal lab, and and that well again kept gets me in more and more in deeply in the in the relation with the with the experimentation and so on. So that's how. Well, there is a lot a, a couple of other things. I spent a couple of years in Canada working in a in a coastal laboratory at NRC in Ottawa, and they basically uh, what I was doing is basically commercial testing. So that was more the understanding and, and learning how to do the testing in a in a more efficient way, basically for commercial and companies in all over the world. It was it was quite interesting and, and different. Every day we were changing countries, but we were doing the test in a small scale from uh, <laughs> uh, Saudi Arabia to uh, uh, Korea to uh, other places also in, in the United States. So we, we really have uh, uh, different options and different locations. Uh, but in uh, we were we were just doing thing in the in the laboratory. So it was it was more commercial. It was less research, but it was more better uh, for the understanding and, and, and learning how to perform those tests in, a, in, a, in an efficient way. You know? mm -hmm. So uh, that also opens uh, the, the opportunity in, mo in many cases, for example, on testing in, in, in academic institutions to, do, to perform tests for the industry. And nowadays that's more important because 
uh, it happens uh, that the, the, the laboratories around are not necessarily providing the service the the industry wants and and uh, academic laboratories are, are are providing those those services so we have to be able to go from from research to applied research to commercial testing uh, in the laboratory and that's what i learned when i was in in canada oh that's great yeah that's really important now especially being part of the narrowing network trying to you know keep the facilities busy when <laughs> you don't yes. always have academic research Yes, that's that's correct. And and one one of the the models that we are trying to implement is is not only to to be able to provide the service to to the industry and the researchers, but also to provide the researchers a service that is as efficient and also for the system as efficient as what you what the what the commercial lab uh, or the or the industry would like to have, because that uh, um, is is not only. Uh, Performing the test with the quality they want, but also having them in the in the timely manner and and with the resources that is that makes sense for everyone. So we in in that way we keep the 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 system um, um, smoothly running, and uh, is is we are without losing the quality. We keep the 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 performance of the testing. So everybody should be uh, getting the results the way they want in the time they want. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, it makes sense. So you talked a lot about how you really like getting into the testing and that kind of has led to you leading a couple of different laboratories, the one in, in Canada, and then it looks like um, you did another institute, hydraulics institute in Spain. So how did you come to Oregon State after that and, and kind of give an overview of what the Hinsdale Lab does as well, if you could? Well, the Hinsdale is is a laboratory that is uh, uh, worldly renowned uh, for many many years. It's, it's been uh, around uh, for, since the last 45 years. It started in 1972. So, wow. uh, is one of those times that uh, when the the laboratory and the studies on waves uh, was really um, um, in the. The, the, the crest of the wave, so to speak. So it's a, it's a, it's a nice analogy, <laughs> because the the research uh, was that was done here is still uh, uh, recognized all over the world. In uh, so it's a it's a well reputed, well known facility, and the scale of this facility is is quite larger than than mostly of. of oh, it is of massive. The, yeah, I would I would definitely encourage people. Um, we'll give links to this in the show notes, but there's some um, some really good pictures on the Design Safe website and also the Oregon State Hinsdale Lab website of this facility. I mean, it is immense. I went out there. Where did I come out there? January. Um, yeah, I think so. Last January. <laughs> it, as soon as I walked into the the main room with the wave flew, I went, whoa. <laughs> So it's so what, 350 it's something feet long or something like that. Yeah, I do, I'm, I'm sorry, I don't remember exactly the in, the figures in in uh, in the um, imperial units. Uh, is 104 meters long, yeah. uh, edge to edge, and uh, 3.6, a little bit more than 3.6 meter wide and four and a half meters deep. It is the this flume is the largest in 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 the U.S. 
and particularly is one of the largest in in the in an academic institution because size matters in case of, of experimentation and in this case uh, what happens is that the the largest facilities that you see around uh, are commercial labs which means that the the testing that you see is not necessarily related to research. So for the to have the opportunity to do the research in a large-scale facility is an asset and is, is very interesting for, for the rest of the, um, uh, the, 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 the researchers. So uh, that is one, one of the facilities. The other facility is the, the uh, directional way pacing and is, uh, it's, a, it's about the size of a and of an Olympic uh, swimming pool, and uh, the maximum depth is about uh, 1.4 meters, a little bit less than that. Um, so that is four and a half feet. Uh, we are uh, working on increasing that depth a little bit for for uh, some testing, the, the testing we, we mentioned on, on the volcanoes. Um, so it's not necessarily the largest uh, uh, basin and the deepest or the one that produces the biggest waves or anything like that. But in terms of being able to produce directional tsunamis is the, is, or, or even tsunamis by itself is the largest in the world. So that uh, for the type of, of wave generation, the type of tsunamis we can generate, which are the, the solitary waves, is the largest in the world. So that, that produces, uh, again, is, is, um, is an option of, uh, of um, testing in, in relatively large scale. Uh, three-dimensional objects, so is the flume is for two, basically two-dimensional testing in, in large waves, and then the scale is big, but also in the basin we have the opportunity to, to run tests for three-dimensional objects, so uh, we've been testing, for example, fuel tanks recently, we are going to be testing the islands and the effect of the islands on, on the tsunami in the, at the coast, uh, we are going to be testing the, the volcanoes, so the type of testing uh, we do depends on, 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 the, on the objectives of the project and um, uh, we use one or, or the other facility depending on what is, what is necessary there. Mm. Uh, so going back to the reason why, how I, I came here to, to Oregon, um, once we finished the, the construction and the design of the, of the facility in, in Spain, uh, we start running and, 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 and implementing uh, procedures to, to uh, make it operational. And after a number of years, uh, I think it was about close to four years, uh, well, I was reaching the situation that I was, I was, my, my job was done and, and the, the laboratory was ready to keep on going by itself. And um, the, the, the opportunity here as uh, director at Hinsdale uh, uh, appeared just uh, like that. And, um, and well, then, then I, I took it and, and here I am. No? So it was the opportunity <laughs> to, to now um, um, uh, not be the, only the responsible of the laboratory, but also the director of the laboratory and, and, and make it run for, uh, with, the, with the reputation of this laboratory for me was a was, uh, uh, major, major uh, decision making. No? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And do you, you joined um, a couple of years before the NERI network formed. How has that changed since this um, you know, new team has kind of formed um, the either the you, you get different kinds of people asking to do testing there or collaborating with the different facilities in the network has there been a change or has it been good bad other 
Well, it's, it's, there, it's, it's, it's just starting, so it's difficult to say that there is a specific trend. Um, at this moment, well, when I, when I came, the, the program NIS was ending, which has a similar but not necessarily the same concept as Neheri, which is a shared use facility concept. No, So there is a, a, a support from NSF and uh, different researchers from uh, the rest of the country can come here and perform their, their testing. So one of the things that changes is that the NIS was supporting studies related with earthquakes, which means in our case, because we are the only water uh, facility um, uh, in the in this system, in this in this system, the, the, uh, the heavy system, that we were doing just uh, um, uh, tsunamis, so the the aftermath of the earthquake. So the Nehiri now is broader in the sense that uh, now is considered multi-hazard. So any other natural hazard that in, that includes, for example, hurricanes and storm surge or meteorites, tsunamis, so other type of phenomena that can happen at the ocean and that affects the coast, whether it's co constructed or or natural coast. And assuming that the coast is what you want to protect, no, and or at least understand what's what's going on around there. So uh, the objective is to find the best solution for uh, and, and study the resilience and and recovery of those of, of uh, man-made or natural-made uh, uh, resources, no, at the coast. So this Neheri changed a little the sense in that in in that direction is that it's not only for tsunamis but also for waves and storm surge. So that opens the opportunity for uh, a huge amount of different uh, options in, in, in terms of uh, what you can do and what you can uh, 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 understand and learning here. So that was a big change. And um, uh, at this moment, we are still uh, in the first, uh, well, it's the first year kind of in, this, in that sense. So what we are finding is that uh, we have a broader uh, options and, and more people are coming with different ideas and different uh, uh, solutions for protection of the coast and, 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 and the understanding of natural hazards. So is is growing and, and my feeling is that we are doing a better job in general as Neheri because we are coping other other hazards that uh, not only specifically related to earthquake, so that changed uh, uh, since uh, since my arrival. Uh, that's that's for for my understanding is is for good. Is is we are in excellent. A so it's, yeah, that's well, that's that's really good to hear. And plus, there's a lot of hybrid simulation emphasis in in the Nary network as well. So I'm wondering if you might be able to kind of incorporate working with the Sims Center or Lehigh kind of having numerical modeling coupled with your experimental testing fair factoring into research projects more and more well it's 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 starting that is 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 going to happen uh what happens is that well we produce the we we perform the test and then now that we finish the test though that information goes into the the simulation and numerical modeling we are just in the phase of creating the database for right. those, those, those models so it will take a little bit uh, longer maybe uh, in a year from now we can talk about it and we will see if the results of this is is is, is approaching there so far because the the sim center was um, um, is, is also relatively um, starting and, and 
and so on. The testing we have performed so far uh, has been implemented in, in numerical modeling, similar uh, to the ones that you find in SimCenter, but actually some of them are nowadays you can find them in, in, in DesignSafe, like uh, OpenFoam. And uh, one of the, the, the tests that we did uh, uh, over the, the, the last year and, and this year uh, related with the elevator, the structures uh, and in its interaction with waves and tsunamis. Uh, there, are, there are already uh, uh, simulations with open foam uh, with that uh, uh, configuration and, and the results are really, really nice and amazing. It's very nice to see uh, the simulation uh, because the, the uh, physical modeling, uh, the data uh, works to validate the numerical modeling. That's always that. It, that's that's how we we work nowadays. That's that's the basis of hybrid modeling. So we use the data in, and introduce it into the numerical model so to to verify that the numerical modeling is working properly. And now that the working that we know that the numerical model is working properly, then you can uh, make comparison or get information that you cannot measure during the testing. Or for, or for example, the other way around is you can change the configuration without testing again which is mm. the complicated part. Because so, it takes quite a bit of effort to change like the bathymetry and other other kind of configurations in your lab. Exactly. I think we were talking about that during um, the time I visited. You were looking at changing um, some of these big concrete plates that mm -hmm. make up the seafloor in the directional wave base, and it takes quite a bit of effort to do that. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's because uh, the, the the support of the operations in in the lab doesn't uh, take into account the, the the for example the cost and effort on on building the model, and that is something that goes into the the research project and and creating or changing the bathymetry is not only time consuming but also is expensive is really expensive so to prevent that one way is uh, to have a configuration of the bathymetry that is uh, um, reasonably constant or fixed or, or easy to, to model, uh, like the ones we have here that at the, just uh, off the shelf. And, and then based on that, changing that configuration numerically is easy because it's, 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 a, it's a numerical scheme. It's, you just change the shapes in, 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 in the computer. And the computer can run those, those cases a number of times and, and you get results from there without necessarily going back to the lab. So uh, that's what is, what is uh, really interesting. But to be sure that the numerical model is working properly, first what you have to do is to, to do the testing in a certain configuration. So those are uh, the cases that are already happening and they are already uh, going on and, and as we speak on the results of the last uh, uh, four or five projects we have run under the heady so far so that's 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 the nice um, and it's just a matter of time that the sim center will be involved in the in the collaboration and and, and understanding and running of those those simulations with uh, only not only ways but also uh, the structures and the response of the structures under under the action of waves yeah yeah exactly so for people who aren't aware of kind of how Coastal engineering, tsunami, and this kind of testing works. Can you give kind of a, you know, 30,000 foot view of what elements make up a tsunami and its interaction with the coast and, and structures on the coast and then how um, you model those in your experimental facility to kind of represent in the abstract the, the real life 
coastal mapping, the makeup, uh, bathymetry, that kind of thing? Okay, so uh, fundamentally and, and simplifying things really uh, a lot, all everything that we do when we talk about waves, when we talk about the uh, hurricane waves, when we talk about the tsunamis or, or, or a, a, the tide at the ocean, a, all of them are waves. Waves being some motion that you have that we has some periodicity that that you have a, a motion of your of the water line that goes up and down. Let's say you know, so it's not still. The water is not continuously still. You have a motion that are vertical uh, and or horizontal uh, that moves moves. Those are the definition of the waves. So those are oscillatory motions, right? Uh, the difference between them is how long are those processes who generated them and who's controlling them. That's what you, when you have to distinguish, when you talk about the tsunami, you talk about a wave that is 20 minutes, about 20 minutes long. So that's the time between one wave and the next wave. Who generated this typically an earthquake or could be a landslide or could be a volcano as we speak, for example, that's one of the, the situations. And the reason why that happens is typically not periodic. It's something that you cannot predict because it's because of the explosion of a volcano. Uh, you you maybe think that you you know when it's gonna happen, but at this moment nobody knows which volcano is gonna explode or when it's a landslide. You may think that there are some places that can be have a, a, a hazard of landslide, and if you don't do anything, maybe there is a landslide, and maybe there is some tsunamis, and of course earthquakes. No, uh, the earthquakes is again something that we know that there is some hazard, there is some probability of occurrence, but we cannot predict when a soon, uh, an earthquake is going to happen and uh, when is a tsunami going to happen. So that's, for example, the difference between the tsunami and uh, the, all the, those differences are in comparison to, for example, a tidal wave. The tidal wave is produced by the relative motions of the earth and the moon and the sun. And we can predict the tidal uh, the tides with its uh, even to a centimeter scale so we are very accurate on the on the definition of what is the tide doing because we can predict the motions of the moon and the sun and the and the earth and uh, and the size of those waves are uh, different uh, um, we're talking about durations of 12 hours maybe 24 hours in some cases is six hours but those waves are produced by the gravity motions of the, and the, the different positions of the of the planets, say the, basically the moon and the sun and the and the earth. So still is a wave, but the that wave has a different shape, it has a different uh, duration, and uh, the origin is also different. And whatever is governing that is uh, is uh, is basically the same thing: is gravity. Gravity is taking over, and friction is taking over those those waves. That's what tries to calm down those waves. No, uh, on the other extreme, we have the 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 wind waves. So the waves that we see every time we go to the beach, and those waves are produced by wind fundamentally. And uh, this is the action of the of the wind on the surface, and that transfers energy, and eventually you get waves. It could be as big or even bigger than a tsunami wave, mm. but those waves are always the the origin is wind. The duration of the time, the 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 period of that uh, uh, those waves are in the order of uh, um, thirty seconds at most, but typically are in the order of eight, ten, fifteen, uh, twenty seconds. Some of those waves probably thirty seconds, but that's that stops. 
very few of those waves goes beyond 30 seconds. So that's that's the fundamental difference between waves when we talk about wind waves, when we talk about tsunamis, and when we talk about tidal waves. So the origin, how can we predict them? If we can predict the atmospheric uh, disturbances, so wind, we can predict the waves, we can predict how the waves are going to approach the coast. We cannot predict tsunamis, but once we have a tsunami, we can predict what is going to happen with that right. tsunami, how it propagates. And um, fundamentally, in the case of tsunami, well, in the case of the waves, you see it's just just the the, the, the motion that is that is uh, uh, harmonic, which means it's a periodic motion that, that goes up and down. And when it propagates to the to the coast, it transforms, and then it may breaks. And then you see the nice pictures of surfing people at the coast, and <laughs> that's what you see. Uh, the problem there is not what, uh, for example, in those waves, is not the waves themselves. Is what happens when you have something that changes the things that happens every day, like a storm. So when you have more waves or more energetic waves, when you have a long wave that produces by the atmospheric disturbance. So you have as what is called the storm surge. So that's elevated right. uh, water height. Recently, uh, just not so long ago, I remember seeing in the news uh, when Hurricane Matthew arrived to the East Coast. And the first thing that people noticed is how the water was rising. So that's the storm surge. It's just more or less steady and an and elevated uh, water le- level that grows and then floods the whole thing. But it's not really causing much damage in the sense of destroying things, except it's just flooding. It's just flooding, things. yeah. Just flooding. So your, your, your feet are wet and your uh, uh, house is wet, and that's damage, of course, but it's not destruction. It's just yeah. the, the damage of the water going into, into, the, into your house. But now that you have water, the waves can enter and can propagate inland. That's the, uh. that's the And that may destroy your house. May, they may hit your, your, your house and, 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 and start producing a lot of debris and transport uh, sediment. So the level of damage increases significantly because it's not only flooding, only, let me quote it, uh, but also... Um, uh, it's also uh, a series of ways that hit the, the houses and, and, and smash the houses and, and may destroy the houses. So uh, that's one, one of the hazards that you... you and then you've also got all the hazards with standing water afterwards of yes, exactly. you know, all sorts of insects and biological nastiness. And in, in the case of the tsunami, what happens with the tsunami is just this, in this case, the wave is so long that is very difficult to stop it. When you are talking about relatively short waves, is is you have a breakwater, you can stop the waves. Uh, the size of the breakwater is relatively big in comparison, for example, to the to the size of the wave. But when you are talking about a tsunami that is 20 minutes long, is a wave that is really really long, is yeah. is very energetic, and you can't stop it. Yeah. And is is like the sea level rise. Imagine sea level rise, but instead of happening in a number of hours, it's happening in 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 in, in a very short time period. The, the length of the wave is 20 seconds, 20 minutes, but the duration of the crest of the wave is, as you see in the videos from Indonesia and Japan, is happening in in the order of minutes. Wow. So imagine that suddenly the ocean raises its height three meters in three minutes. So that creates a front that is the the wave that you see in the tsunami is only the front of the long oh, wave wow. yeah go ahead so now that we've gone over 
Some of the basics of coastal engineering for people who may not be familiar with that, um, what a tsunami is, what wind-driven waves are, and tidal waves, the differences between those. How do you then test structures against those different parameters at the Hinsdale Lab? And kind of tell us a little bit about that, if you could. Sure. The um, 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 experimentation in, in laboratories have started uh, um, more than 150 years ago. Uh, the concept is that you, in the lab you can control the conditions of the waves and, and, and flows and, and, and um, uh, you can reproduce conditions by in nature. But um, typically when you do it in, in the laboratory and particularly when you are working with uh, hydraulics and coastal engineering, you have to go in, into a relatively small scale. Sometimes you don't, but so, most of the time you have to reproduce whatever you want to, to study in a reduced scale. So the uh, with, by doing so, you can uh, generate waves and, and tsunamis. Uh, even though you are not reproducing this, the full size of the tsunami, you can uh, study what is the impact of that tsunami or those waves in structures. So uh, the first thing you have to think about is that we are uh, in a laboratory, so we want to uh, have a, a control conditions and uh, we can reproduce whatever uh, we want to, to reproduce, but in a reduced scale. So our uh, the, the laboratories, the experimentation in, in, in science have changed a number of uh, uh, over, over the years. And nowadays what you can find is that the coastal laboratory or our laboratory, for example, which is a coastal laboratory, is, um, is, uh, is only dedicated or fundamentally dedicated to study the uh, phenomena related to the coastal waters, so waves and, and tides and, and tsunamis, or basically in general waves. Uh, other laboratories probably are only dedicated, for example, to to uh, flooding or, or could be uh, fluvial effects like rivers or, or dam breaks or, or other type of things. So Hinsdale was... Uh, Established 45 years ago, and is it was from the very beginning was fundamentally only a coastal laboratory. So facilities are specific for generation of waves. Uh, we have two facilities. One is a flume, which means it's just a long canal. So basically, we have uh, uh, the wave generation in one side, and the waves uh, uh, propagate along the canal. And we study what happens with a single wave in a in a, um, uh, in, a, in, a in a structure. So so this is similar to um, uh, have a slice of the coast, so a perpendicular to the coastline. We imagine you you make a slice, and then what happens if you see from the side uh, that slice that you have created on the coast? So you will see uh, the coastline, and then you will see the waves on, on on the other side, and see how the waves gets closer to the to the shoreline. So this is exactly so when you're the doing a, just a slice of coastline, how do you pick the uh, the slope of the sand coming up the beach, the bathymetry, the bathymetry there. How do you pick that when you're doing testing? Well, that's, that's uh, for example, if we, if we are reproducing something that is, uh, that is realistic, something that has been measured, for example, uh, at the coastline, uh, that slice is, uh, the, the bathymetry is something that you, you can build. You can build the, the you can construct that that profile of the of the beach or, or the coastline. Um, and uh, first, we have to differentiate two things: whether we are using the real sand, or for example, we 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 introduce the sand and have the the profile of the beach itself by by 
is simply putting sand or we have uh, that is called a mobile bed uh, a type of studies or which is more common is to have a fixed bed which means that we have a profile that we built on concrete and in our particular case in Hinsdale uh, one of the, uh, the our capabilities is to uh, that we have in the flume a series of piece wise concrete slabs that we can accommodate at different um, elevations and different profiles and that creates the the cross section of the of the coastline so the first thing we have to do is uh, one of one of the elements that distinguish coastal laboratories in that's our cases that we drain the the flumes and the facilities so without water we can build and construct upon the 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 bathymetry uh, we can build the structures uh, on top of that and then we we add the water and then we we start testing so that's that's a fundamental difference for example in our case in comparison to what is called ocean labs ocean labs they don't drain the the the, the basins we do drain our basins and then by doing so we can have access to the to the uh, basin or the flume and we can build the the bathymetry and, and place the structures Hmm. So, so you could use like different kinds of sand to do the bathymetry, like for different parts of the world, like whether it's, you know, really fine grain kind of white sand or more volcanic or do you do that or is that well, you, too complicated? You, <laughs> no, it's, it's something you can do it, but this is, uh, the problem is that when you reduce the scale, you have to reduce the scale of everything. And then oh. that's... The, the major thing is that when you reduce the scale, you have to keep on keep an eye on your uh, fundamental equations, the equations that governs the the flow that you are you are studying. So, is 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 the is the first part that you have to go at the beginning is before is part of the design of the testing. You check that the the flow that you are reproducing still remains representative of what you are studying. So, for example, if you put uh, um, if you reduce the scale too much, then uh, you may be not reproducing exactly things that you want because uh, the, you don't change the water. So the density and the viscosity of the water remains the same, and uh, that is faking the reality. Uh, even though we use, for example, fresh water, that's, a, uh, that's another typical uh, condition. So we use fresh water because we know that uh, how to take into account the difference in density. But, uh, the, but the viscosity doesn't change that much. But if we go smaller, you keep constant gravity. You cannot change gravity in this case. You cannot change uh, so the, the, because we are still in the Earth and we don't have any, any anything special, uh, any device to change the gravity in this moment. We use water. Cool. <laughs> yeah, that would be interesting to go to the moon to make some testing. So. <laughs> but you cannot scale the gravity. You cannot scale the, the, the viscosity because we still use water and we don't fundamentally change the density. So you don't change certain and parameters, which means that certain things that happens in the water is you you won't be able to reproduce properly. And what are those? Well, basically uh, anything that is related with viscosity, so all the friction and 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 the, the anything that is related to the contact of the flow with the surface, that is something that is is not 
perfectly reproduced. There is a way of doing it, but there is not perfectly reproduced. And the other thing we don't reproduce properly, for example, is the surface tension. So how the water, uh, the, the, the surface tension in the water that, for example, makes a, a, a leaf that uh, cannot go into the surface of the water. So that, that surface tension at the, at the surface is, is we cannot change it. So uh, there are some places that have tried, for example, using uh, other type of fluids, like glycerin or or alcohol to do the testing. But imagine how complicated wow. it would be to fill our uh, facilities with uh, with uh, alcohol. So. <laughs> that would be a <laughs> lot of alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and asking the the pharmacy is how uh, oh, I need three hundred thousand gallons of alcohol, <laughs> and I'm not having a party. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, and it would be pretty dangerous. I mean, any spark will just put that in fire. So it would be a major oh, yeah. major. So, uh, because one of the things, one of the, uh, the, the element of of not being able to uh, make things too small. Uh, have a, an issue is we on one side we want to make things smaller because we are modeling things in a small scale so we want to be able to reproduce the large phenomena for example huge waves or huge tsunamis but on the other side we we cannot go too small because if we go too small then we are not reproducing things properly so there is a mm-hmm. balance and at the end of the day when you see other laboratories have some facilities that are at a certain size so let's say small to middle size and there are other laboratories we have, uh, which have uh, the, what is called large-scale facilities. Well, our facilities at Hinsel are considered large-scale. Why? Because they are so big that we overcome some of the issues of n- reducing the scale. But that means that we have a, a facility that is, well, is the largest in the U.S. And, and in some conditions, in certain conditions, is, of, is, is comparable to the 10 top largest facilities in the world. And that means that we have uh, an asset that is difficult to handle and is, a, is more expensive to handle than in the, that a, that a a small-scale facility, but the advantage is that we can reproduce certain things in a in a relatively large scale. Actually, there are some cases, for example, that we can uh, test that the, our 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 capabilities are so big that actually we are in one-to-one scale. There, oh, wow. we, we can generate waves in the flume that are larger than in the, the waves that you find, for example, in certain lakes or in certain coastal waters in the world. So it's really powerful. And it's not the largest in the world, but still is very, it's fairly large. So um, so th- that's, that's the end of the story. So why we have a facility that is so large? Well, because we, we, we want to overcome the issues of having um, uh, 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 small, fast, small scale, and, and problems of reduced scale in, in, in the laboratory. So to overcome that, you don't go that small. You just stay within, within uh, something that is about uh, five or ten times smaller, instead of going to thirty or forty, fifty times smaller than than, than the reality. You know. Ah, okay. So that's one of the facilities that we've been talking about the the flume, and um, and uh, well, in 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 our case in the flume, we don't only have uh, um, a slice of the coast or or a slice of the of the ocean. That's what we are reproducing, uh, and we have these these series of concrete slabs that, that help us to build the bathymetry. Because the other thing is, when we have a large scale facility, the problem is that when you want to build the coast, then you have to spend a lot of 
time and effort on building that in the flume. Imagine we are we are talking about a facility that is over 100 meters long, so uh, more than 300 feet long. So uh, building and constructing a bathymetry that uses probably 50% of the volume of that, that uh, uh, facility means uh, uh, probably more than a couple of months of construction and placing concrete and so on. So that is really time, time uh, consuming and extremely expensive. So instead of doing that, we have these piecewise concrete slabs that produces generates the the, the the bathymetry and that help us to to overcome also the issue of uh, of building a bathymetry instead of spending one month and a half or maybe a two months on building the bathymetry it takes between one and two days to oh, wow. place the bathymetry that's that's the the performance that we can get in this in the case of building the, the bathymetry with the piecewise uh, uh, system we have now so that's a very nice asset and uh, when you you compare with other other facilities with the in, in large scale uh, only one or two in the world have the same uh, solution uh, because uh, well for whatever reasons but uh, that makes us very competitive in the sense that how fast we can uh, turn around the, the the construction of the bathymetry and once you construct the bathymetry, then you have to think about placing the model and placing the instrumentation and so on. So that's that thing makes things uh, uh, complicated, no? So, so we take, have to, you know, up to a week to do a new configuration for another a different test or more. Yeah. Yeah, or more. For example, depending on the the effort of the instrumentation or the characteristics of the of the model, uh, it could take us up to three weeks. For example, to to put uh, a full model in place. Uh, uh, when we are talking about uh, in the other 100 different instruments that we have to to install in a, in a specimen, uh, it takes a lot of time. Especially if you want to be uh, accurate enough, so you don't want to to lose uh, count and, and lose quality of the instruments. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So we've been so talking. About, so we've been talking about the capabilities a, a lot, um, and it's just amazing. And I think you're about to get into the directional wave base in a little exactly. bit. But I wanted to make sure uh, we also talk about the applications of these as well. Like what kinds of experiments you're you're running uh, currently, or some some kind of highlights over the past few years that you guys have been running. Well, fundamentally, uh, maybe probably 60% of the time or 70% of the time in the flume, the type of testing we do is the what we call interaction uh, between waves and structures. So we, we build a model, we build a structure, it could be a bridge. We have tested uh, already in the, in the past uh, uh, three or four, I think four different configurations of bridges. So uh, they are they are reduced scale bridges, but they are still reproducing it. so they, all the properties, geometrical properties and, and mechanical properties of the bridge. And and then we study the effect of waves hitting uh, the 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 bridge because uh, it ha it's something that has been observed, for example, during hurricanes and 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 tsunamis that the, the, the during those extreme events the water level rises and then the waves can reach the 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 
the deck of the of the bridges and, oh, really? and wow. several bridges, for example, failed during Katrina and during uh, uh, Sandy, for example. Uh, there is uh, also, well, in Japan, um, um, probably 300 different bridges along the coast were damaged during the, the tsunami, and 100 of them were completely destroyed. And wow. the bad thing is that the, the, you always have a, a bridge along the coast because you have roads along the coast, and that's your primary communication with the rest of the country. And then suddenly you have a bridge that is well, you design it to withstand the, the, the tsunami or, you, or sorry, the, the earthquake or, or, or winds or roads or, or, or the, 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 the years. And then suddenly you have a, a, a condition that is in excess of those, those, those uh, for example, those, the situation. And um, the bridge collapses and then you don't have the emergency, for example, cannot reach the, the, the people that is being uh, hit by the tsunami or the hurricane. And the people cannot evacuate also the, the area because the there are no bridges so uh is major is is the major point of communication with your with with, with your safety and yeah. and, and, and to uh, for, for providing supplies or anything so it's a it's a major concern and we've been studying bridges for a number of uh, of years uh, and in the, in its interaction and and the, the design and what it improves their their uh, resistance to, to tsunamis and waves that's one thing for example we've been uh, studying uh, also elevated structures so buildings and houses that are at the coast that are higher than the ground they are supported for example by columns or stilts and um, we've been studying what is the effect of the tsunamis and waves and how to to uh, measure to, to assess the forces that are uh, uh, associated with the with the um, storm surge hurricanes and, and tsunamis and how to improve the building codes for those uh, 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 structures so, in the case of a, of, a, of a natural hazard, there is a, there is a way of, uh, of uh, uh, um, knowing a, a how to, to uh, beforehand, the building code, what it's trying to do is to give you a way of, of assessing those forces so you can build your house that is going to be resistant to certain forces. And we incorporated not only tsunamis and, and, and waves uh, and, and under different conditions of storm surge at different elevations of the of the building, but also we have been testing the effect of debris that is uh, floating and, and being transported oh, wow. by by the by the waves and hitting those those uh, houses. During Katrina, for example, or during the uh, recently in Matthew, the storm surge allowed the waves to reach the houses, and you see along the the Gulf Coast and the East Coast, several of those houses uh, at the coast that are relatively higher, and uh, some of those were were. Uh, severely damaged and once they are damaged then they, they become debris and, and that house hits another houses and destroy other houses not because of the waves but because the house hits another house so uh, it's a major concern also on the on the coast and, and when uh, in the Gulf Coast and the East Coast we are talking about hurricane waves and, and storm surge in the in the West Coast we are talking about the, the tsunami so uh, what makes um, 
um, a structure that is elevated in comparison to the ground, uh, more resistant to, to to the tsunami. We remember seeing the images of uh, the Indonesia tsunami or the uh, Japan uh, tsunami, uh, um, and those houses which or the hotels which were higher and they didn't have uh, too much uh, uh, walls or restrictions to the flow in the first floor survive better mm. and, uh, and the reason is that there is no resistance created by by those walls and it's just uh, uh, what we call an elevated structure so we've been testing for example recently for a number of months uh, under different conditions uh, an elevated structure that's that's something that we did well, that's recently. what you were testing when i was out there in january mm. Yeah, exactly. We've been testing that for first uh, couple of months in uh, the end of 2016 and then three months at the beginning of 2017. And uh, for example, at this moment, as we speak, we are starting a project on the the scouring effect, which is, is uh, um, what is the potential of creating holes and, and erosion uh, patterns uh, at the sea bottom. So we put sand, real sand, we, we, we place in the, in the flume, in a, in a let's say a huge sandbox let's imagine that at the bottom of the of the flume and we will place a, a wave energy converter resting on the floor and see what happens when you have a structure resting on the floor and create some some uh, perturbation and and what is this carrying potential is um, uh, anything that you put on the structure on on the seabed if it's made of sand will create this pattern of, of erosion and the question is how big is is that erosion so uh, we are we are we are going to be studying that for the next uh, um, five weeks and um, and also for example the another upcoming project is the uh, study on forces of uh, of vertical piles that are supporting uh, offshore windmills for example so mm. there is a number of uh, just uh, to give you an example uh, the type of uh, studies we do can go from anything that goes from wave energy to coastal structures storm surge uh, tsunamis hurricanes uh, you name it. Uh, uh, the secret of our facilities is to keep the flexibility on on that is uh, uh, to keep the to to be able to to uh, 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 test as many options and and. And, and, and configurations and, and conditions as possible, so we can provide, we can do some uh, uh, testing on on on, on uh, uh, I don't know uh, as many uh, possible conditions and, and keep the what I'm trying to say is that the, we want to keep the the facility optimal and and be efficient by providing always a, a solution no matter what you are we are you are studying the facility is is uh, something that has been here over the, the last 45 years and we expect to keep it uh, running for the next 45 years and uh, or whatever and uh, we we don't know what are going to be the the research questions or the science questions in 10 years from now and certainly the questions 10 years ago were different than the questions that we have nowadays so that's that's what we want to do the reason why we want to keep the flexibility of the facility that's excellent um you're talking about when I was there in January and uh, I think in subsequent publications about your facility, about the next big one, the big, uh, you know, earthquake that's going to happen someday in the Pacific Northwest. And uh, I wonder if you could talk about that as we kind of wrap up here and your outreach to the community and how you're kind of educating people about how to prepare for that and changing building codes and evacuation routes and things. 
Yes, the the as you know, the uh, uh, there has been a, a breakthrough uh, in the finding that the, actually the Pacific Northwest is is subject to the hazard, the possible hazard of a, of a major earthquake and and the associated tsunami. And since then, uh, there has been a, a change in 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 the mindset of the people and the public and also the the uh, the decision makers and stakeholders, that including the interest of of uh, improving the the infrastructure and 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 be prepared for 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 that uh, uh, event that the infrastructure wasn't prepared for that when it was built and now we are working in the direction of improving that but also the communities the communities are now the, should be aware of the of the uh, of this hazard and what to do and what not to do basically uh, and how to improve the the, the possibilities of uh, uh, of survival and resilience of the of the different communities so uh, as part of that we not we are not only studying how to uh, um, uh, assess the forces and the risk and, 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 and the resilience of the structures, but also we have been studying and, and we, we are transmitting that information to, to our community. Uh, just to give you an idea, uh, in these first uh, seven months, not even so, seven months of the year, so we are in July, we already have 7,000 visitors to our way facility. Wow. And uh, what we are doing is con is, is, is uh, with different activities and fundamentally with tours, explaining that what we do and why we do what we do in, t in, 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 the, in the Pacific Northwest. So it's part of our, our um, outreach is to tell them uh, where we are, what, is the, what are the risks, what could happen, and uh, in, in, it's not only for safety, but also for awareness. Now, Days, the major um, uh, problem is that not everybody is aware of the of the situation, or the awareness is not correctly uh, assessed. So people are uh, uh, concerned about some things that are not going to happen, or they don't know what to do when, for example, a situation like this. So uh, the the intention is to have uh, um, uh, people understanding uh, where we are and why we are studying tsunamis and what we do in the case of tsunamis. So, for example, an interesting activity that we have is the Tsunami Structure Challenge. That is uh, uh, a contest that um, high schoolers and middle fundamentally middle school uh, participants prepare little structures and then we they, they put it in the near the coast and by competing and seeing how those structures survive an actual tsunami that we generate for them and see uh, how the structures survive and so on. They also understand the differences between the, dif the distant tsunami, a tsunami that was created on the other side of the Pacific Ocean, and the local tsunamis. And uh, they can see visually and assess what happens if uh, if their structures is is subject to that to that condition. So that's wow. part of the of the uh, of the outreach coming. And 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 the our open houses and the tsunami structure challenge is probably taking more than 50% of our our visitors. Oh, that's excellent. Yeah, is is this year has been. Um, if you see the graphs, the the interest and 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 um, a number of visitors is really increasing uh, uh, crazily. So we have uh, uh, we are expecting that at the end of this year, probably we're going to be reaching uh, between eight and, and nine thousand visitors. Wow, yeah, that's awesome. 
yeah and means means that probably we have a tour uh, probably every other day continuously uh, uh, every day of the of the year so um, and, and it's uh, is and uh, well we don't we, we don't sometimes we cannot uh, guarantee that they will see a tsunami or they will see uh, some waves uh, because we we are dedicated first uh, our priority is first to we are committed to the to the testing that we are performing but most of the time they have the opportunity to see some waves and and have the feeling of how big uh, a wave uh, we can generate and what is the power of the ocean yeah at the coast. excellent 